I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling clearly portrayed as crucified. It is a biblical fact that Jesus was crucified. It's not only a biblical fact, but it's an historical fact as well. Although this happened about 2,000 years ago, I want you to understand something. That is this, time never erases truth. If we merely see Jesus' crucifixion as an event, then what happens is time can cover it up and we can grow cold and mechanical and it can lose its significance. But when we see the heart of his sacrifice and we see the great love, the unconditional love behind his sacrifice and we come to understand the value of this priceless gift of grace, then like Paul and Silas, our very hearts will sing even in the darkest times. Chains will be loosed and the prison doors that at one time trapped us in condemnation will open. The last time I ministered, I ministered through a word that I called your very eyes. And in that message, I took our natural eyes, and I drew their attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And what I really wanted us to see to that message, that is, as precious as our eyes are, and to the extent that we would go through to protect our very eyes, we should feel the same way about the precious gospel of grace. I count it an honor, I do, and a privilege, a delight, a joy to uphold and protect the gospel of grace. How many of you will agree with me that the rarer something is, the more valuable it becomes? I mean, one-of-a-kind items are usually very valuable items. Let me share something with you that I borrowed from the Apostle Paul. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one Lord, there is one Spirit, there is one faith, there is one baptism. And friends, listen, there is one gospel. It's called the gospel of grace. And that was the Apostle Paul's opening thoughts as he penned what we call now the book of Galatians. Then it was a letter, it was an epistle that was written, and he was writing it to the Galatian church. Galatians was written actually before the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I know it's not that way in our Bible. We have Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. But Galatians was his first letter that he wrote, his first epistle. And he wrote it to the course, the Galatians, and so I had to ask myself in quietness yesterday, what would have my first words have been? Well, his first words are recorded. It's in the letter. What would his first words be to the Galatians? Well, he got by all the graces and pieces that he bestowed upon the church there. And then he begins in verse 6 and 7. And some of this message is kind of an overlap or intertwines with some of the other things I've been ministering recently. But this is what he said. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Look at those next two words, the one. He said, I'm astonished. I've said before in life, there's very few things that astonish me. When you've been around and you've seen a thing or two, you, you just don't get astonished. I mean, that's a big word. Uh, that's a buffet of a word. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserted. And then he said, the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Notice he doesn't just say who called you to be saved by the grace of Christ. Like it was just a one and done and move along in life. No, he said he called you to live 
live in the grace of Christ, and he says, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now listen, friends, this is what he's writing to the church there. So the obvious question when I read those two verses would be this to me. If I was reading that, I would go, what was this so-called different gospel? Because at this point, I don't know. I haven't read the end of the book yet. But he's telling them, you have turned to a different gospel. And it's really no gospel. There's no good news in it. I know you think there's good news in it, but there's no good news in it. It will lead you to a dead end. I'd be sorry you go down that road. So what did this imposter gospel consist of? And what made it so desirable? What made it so believable? What made it so appealing that people fell for it and they turned to it for their salvation? They turned to it for their hope. I mean, don't you want to ask that question? Don't you want to answer to that question? What was it? Because as you can see that it wasn't just the new Christians that were turning this. Some of the seasoned ministers were beginning to fall back into this too. And we'll see that in a few minutes. Well, that's a great question. And I, I believe, listen to me, that it needs to be settled in our hearts. Because when the answer to that question gets settled in your heart, then the answer to what life's all about in Christ is settled at the same time, or one settles the other, should I say. So I think it needs to be settled because even to this day, people, many people are still turning to a different gospel other than the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. They're turning to something else. Now, there are some things worth dying on a hill for, and there are some things that are not worth dying on a hill for. Not terribly long ago, I was out and about, and I ran into a minister friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time. And as I stood there talking to him, we talked about a lot of things. We had about a 45-minute conversation just standing there in a grocery store. I don't know how we got on this subject exactly, but he talked about how he had ministered the funeral of a young man. And as he was telling me about it and how it all went, I knew for a fact that I was the one who ministered that funeral. Now you say, one of you is confused. Well, that young man was a relative of mine. I'm not confused at all. He wasn't trying to tell me any stories. He just got confused. But guess what? I let him tell his story. And I didn't yank the slack out of him and go, wait a minute, you're mistaken. I was the one that did that. I just let him take it. Like I said, there are some things that are worth dying on a hill for, and there are some things that are not worth dying on a hill for. That wasn't one of them for me. And the Apostle Paul wasn't going around to all the places that he went to yank the slack out of people and every little wrinkle make a big deal out of it. But I'll tell you one thing. When it came to the gospel of grace, that was a cross and that was a hill that it was worth dying on for the Apostle Paul. And he would not. He would not compromise that. Now, we can learn a lot from a powerful man like this. I mean, Jesus is the one who gave him the revelation to take to the entire church, and we're benefiting from it today through understanding this true gospel of grace. But he would not budge. He wouldn't give an inch. The answer to my question is plain. The different gospel that the Apostle Paul spoke of, listen to me carefully, was the Old Covenant, also known as the Law. That is the other gospel that they were calling, essentially, or naming. That's the one he's talking about. And that's why the Apostle Paul said it's no gospel at all. Now, what he's basically saying, it doesn't matter if you mix in 90% or 80% or even 1%. He said if you even mix in 1% of the Old Covenant, you even mix in 1% of the Old Law, he said that is no longer the gospel. That's a profound statement. I think that's something we ought to underscore in our hearts and just let it stick there because if you put anything with the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. So, holding on to the old covenant after you've come to Christ is like holding on to a former girlfriend or a boyfriend after you've gotten married to another one. It just wouldn't make sense. 
I mean, it would get you in trouble. Come on, can I get an amen? Man, if I can't get an amen on you now, we need to see each other. Let's get in that little room back there after church right there. We'll pull that little curtain closed, and Valerie and I will step in there and talk to you about this, okay? I'm serious. Can you imagine that? You're dating a girl, or you're dating a guy, and then all of a sudden you break up, and then you find another one, and you marry that one. But you still want to hold hands with this one? <laughs> Friend, that'll probably just get you killed. That'll get you killed. But that's what it's like. Is we are new creations in Christ who are new covenant believers. Why in the world would you want to reach back and hold Moses' hand? <laughs> well, I'm sure glad you're having a good time with that, Michelle. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Does it? Come on. And so this is where the Apostle Paul just said, listen, I'm going to draw a line here. I'm going to tell you something. I am not going to cross that line. And if you cross that line, I'm going to push you back. Or I'm going to pull you over with me, one of the two. Friends, listen, the church is stuck here because they think it's still okay to reach back and wear Moses' ring, court Moses, take Moses to the movies once in a while. It's not okay. Don't take him to dinner. <laughs> Moses doesn't have any money. He won't even pay the bill. <laughs> uh, it really, I'm telling you. The Apostle Paul knew that there was no power in the different gospel. He knew that there was no power in what they called that gospel. There was no power to transform a person, and there was no power to save a person. Jesus, even when he encountered the Pharisees, told them, he said, man, he said, you read the scriptures, you do all this stuff. And he says, you man, you're, you're, you're like two devils. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But I mean, nobody was following the law more closely than them. But when Jesus came, he came as the new husband. He came as the new man, one man, one mediator between God and man. And he was trying to convince them, you've got to let go of Moses' hand. And they said, no. And they tried to take him and throw him off cliffs and everything else. You see, the law... Listen to me. It was a performance-based plan that was loaded with conditions, but it was powerless to give life. Powerless to give life. We see this truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, not the law of Moses, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Look at those words. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, let me say something to you. We're right at the end of September. October 1st will be this coming Tuesday, right? I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, starting Tuesday, October 1st, there's a new law that's been passed in the United States that says stealing is no longer a crime. Shoplifting is no longer a crime. Guess what? I still wouldn't steal. You know how I know that? Because the law of no shoplifting is not what restrains me now. The law of do not steal is not what restrains me now. It's the love of God that restrains me. It's the grace of God that restrains me. I know for a fact I wouldn't steal. Now the rest of you would, but I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you guys were thinking, there, well, there's somebody in here that would steal. I wouldn't do it. I really wouldn't do it because I'm not restrained by some cold mechanical law. 
I'm restrained by the warm heart of God, the warm heart of his grace and his love. We see this truth in Titus, another book the Apostle Paul wrote, chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted. Why? Why would he say something like that? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That's why. Is you live a life that when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, salt has flavor. Salt brings out taste. And he says, when they see that you're not talking bad about your boss, you're not throwing your boss under the bus all the time, and your wife and your kids or whatever, there's something that is so attractive about that. And he's telling the slaves, he said, listen, it doesn't matter if you have a good taskmaster or you have a bad one. He said, listen, don't steal from him. You be good to him. You honor him. Don't talk back to him. Now, that's a hard one sometimes because the old tongue wants to slip out between those two lips. Ooh, real quick, man. I think we'd be better off to be like Rambo, just get some thread and a needle out, man, and kind of sew that baby shut there, you know. That's what he did when he had a wound. He just got on a needle and thread and sewed himself shut. He said, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Look at those next words, friends. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to say no. <laughs> Come on, man. It's grace that teaches us to say no. Grace has a heart. Grace has a voice. And out of that heart comes grace's voice. And he doesn't beat us over the head. He gently woos us and talks to us and says, be good to people, be kind to people. And he will teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And I understand there's times that we still color outside of that line. Even though we know this scripture, we still color outside that framework. But guess what? The same grace that said it teaches you to say no, that same grace says yes to you and amen every time you fail. Like we sang in that one song, a thousand times I fail, still your mercy remains. Why? Because his mercies are new every day. That word mercy from the Hebrew is chesed. It literally is translated as grace. His graces are new every single day because we need grace. Every day, we need the awareness. We need the power of his grace working in our hearts and in our minds as our mind and our brain and our hearts are transformed to look more like spirit man. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not just in heaven someday, in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Friends, the law's purpose was never intended to restrain the believer from sinning. Grace restrains us. And when I began to see in the scriptures a few years ago the truth that Isaiah talked about, the prophet Isaiah, when he said, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then he went on to say, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, isn't that weird? <laughs> we had the problem, but God laid it on Jesus. I don't know if that's a fair exchange or not, really. 
But when I began to see those scriptures that Jesus was stricken and smitten and that my iniquity and my issues of life were all laid on him, I began to fall in love with him because in my heart of hearts, he was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, let me be real with you and just talk in terms that we understand, okay? The law worked like one of our health insurance plans. For example, a very popular plan is what they call the 80-20 plan. I happen to be on that myself at work. 80-20 plan, that means your insurance plan pays 80% of your medical costs and you pay 20% of your medical costs. Did you know that insurance plans, they kind of have their own language. They use terms like deductibles and co-payments and co-insurance and they have limitations and exclusions and restrictions. Furthermore, if you visit a doctor, a week or two later, you're going to get something in the mail called an EOB. That's the acronym for it. It stands for an explanation of benefits. And those explanation of benefits, let's be honest, they're a little challenging to decipher. They're a little hard to read. They're a little difficult. Very complicated language in your insurance plan. The old covenant was loaded with deductibles and copayments. It was encumbered with conditions and complicated language. It was a performance-based plan. But listen, friends, the day that Jesus died on the cross, the day that Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified, he did away with that old covenant. Would you like to see what your former coverage used to look like? <laughs> Would you like to see that? Maybe you've forgotten what it looked like. I'm going to show you what your former coverage used to look like. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, 27 and 28. He said these words. Moses is writing now. He said, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing. <laughs> did you notice I accentuated the if? I did that so it would draw your attention to the condition, just like an insurance plan. Uh, well, we don't cover that because. Or we'll cover that if. He said, listen, your blessings are tied to an if. He said, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. He said, and a curse, if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. Can you see the conditions of the old covenant? Well, friends, your co-payments are found in the condition called if. Blessings if, curses if. Blessings if you obey, curses if you don't obey. Friends, let me tell you something. The old covenant was made obsolete. Our ifs were removed. Our term life insurance policy expired, and it was replaced with eternal life. We no longer have a conditional life plan. We have eternal life. See, then it was like a term thing. Every year you had to bring a lamb, a bull, or whatever, a turtle dove. You had to bring something, have a sacrifice, and then you were okay for a while. And then next year, you had to bring another one. But Jesus became our high priest, the final high priest. We don't have the temples. We don't have the sacrifices anymore. Why? Because the Lamb of God was sacrificed once for all. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely. In Hebrews chapter 8, and verse 13, probably one of my favorite scriptures. I use it a lot. Listen. Please, 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 please take this one to memory. This is just such an, a dear scripture to me. He says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Well, what is the first one? He's talking about the first covenant. He's talking in the context of covenants. So what was the first covenant? The covenant that he had under the what we call the Mosaic law. Now, by making this new covenant that he cut with his father on the cross, he put a new covenant into place, and he said, I have made the former covenant, the first covenant, obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And it did disappear. It disappeared the moment he came up out of the grave. It was gone in an instant. But see, the mentality was, I'm still under it. Because that's all I've known year after year after year. And I understand when you get into a habit of doing anything, 
it's hard to break habits. Friends, Jesus' crucifixion was more than an event. It was victory over sin and death. It was victory over all the conditions and stipulations of the old covenant. It was victory over those. How ridiculous would it be if our insurance coverage only covered us if we had to visit a doctor in the North Pole? Well, that insurance plan wouldn't be worth anything. It'd be worthless. I mean, if I had to see the doctor and he said, listen, we've got a stipulation in this coverage. The only way you get coverage is you've got to visit a doctor in the North Pole. I don't even know if there's any doctors there, but imagine you had to do something like that. Would you go, well, what am I exactly paying for? Because, I mean, how? I mean, all I got is a cold. I mean, you want me to go to the North Pole? I'm going to be colder there and sicker there. I mean, all I need is just, come on, just a little antibiotic. No, you've got to go to the North Pole for that. Friends, holding on to the old covenant is like having an insurance plan where you're covered only at the North Pole. Ridiculous. <laughs> Through the Deuteronomy blessings and curses policy, God is giving the Israelites a prescription that has no beating heart. It's mechanical. It's laws. It's rules without relationship. Laws without love. That's all it is, a plan that is as cold and clinical as a doctor's office. But under the new covenant, our conditions for blessing and curses have been removed. I don't have to do anything to make my father love me. And there's nothing I can get myself into that he won't love me. I've told this story a long time ago as I was ministering, but it just came back to me just now. And I reminded the lady in our office because she trains all new office people and the lady that was working next to her just left to go to a different job within our same company. And the one that does the training was up by my area the other day. And I said, have we hired anybody new for that position? She said, yes. I said, you're going to train them, aren't you? She said, yes. I said, I want to remember something I heard you say several years ago and I never forgot. She said, what's that? I heard you say to the new hire, there is no situation that you can get yourself into that I can't get you out of. And I looked at that woman that I worked with and I said, what a gift that is to tell a new employee that. What a gift to say that to somebody. There is no situation that you can get yourself into that God can't get you out of. Isn't that awesome? I'm not saying we're not going to have to pay the piper somewhere along the line. Man's going to make you pay, friends. I mean, you just parked in Lake Geneva for a few minutes and let that meter expire one time. I guarantee man's going to make you pay. About the only place I know of still got meters. Man, oh man, folks. Come on, you need to get with a new covenant. <laughs> Amen. Under the new covenant, our conditions for blessing and curses have been removed. And the more that we see Jesus clearly portrayed as crucified, the more you and I actually fall in love with him. It's watching how he loves us, watching how gracious he is to us, watching how good he is to us that help us sing of the goodness of God. When we go, all my life you've been so faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. How a sing of the goodness of God. Friends, let me give you a newsflash. Your former insurance plan has been rendered obsolete. Believers have moved from Blue Cross to Christ's cross. It's a much better plan. It really is. A much better plan. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, we find these words. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all these things, okay? Which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, let me stop here for just a second. Now, what he's saying here essentially is, if you want to be under the law, then fine. But you know what you got to do? You got to obey it to the letter. If that's what you want to sign up for, you cannot miss one beat with it. Because here's the problem with it. 
See, back when they were under the law and they blew it, they had a, a lamb that could be sacrificed. If you put yourself under the law now, no more lambs are going to be sacrificed. Jesus was the last lamb. So there's no sacrifice for your sin. Because Jesus is not going to come and die again. He became that last and final high priest, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So if you want to obey the law and put yourself under the law, then go at it. But you've got to keep it perfectly, and nobody can. You can't keep it perfectly in thought, word, and deed. It's impossible. I don't keep it perfectly in thought, word, or deed, but I'm not under it either. Then he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. What is he saying in those little words? This is not a trick question, friends. He said, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. What law is he talking about? He's talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about 613 do's and don'ts. And he said, there is not a single man on this earth that will ever be justified. That means made right with God by keeping the law. It's exactly what it says. Isn't that liberating? It's liberating. It makes me just go, okay, i got to abandon that plan because there is just no way I can fulfill that one. And I wouldn't want to. It has no beating heart. I can crawl up in Papa's lap. He's got a heartbeat. I can feel his breath coming on me as he talks to me and he whispers to me sweet things and sings over me and dances with me and cuddles me and holds me, whispers sweet things in my heart. That's what I want. So if you're going to go under the law, you've got to keep it perfectly. But the moment you mess up, even one time, there's no sacrifice. I think that's what Hebrews chapter 6 is really getting at, those scriptures that used to make us fearful all the time. This talks about if we willfully sin after coming to the knowledge of God, there's no sacrifice that remains. That's what he's talking about. Listen, man, if you try to put yourself back under the law, there is no sacrifice there for us anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. So he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Continuing, he says, and the law is not of faith. Isn't that amazing? In other words, I don't have to have faith to obey a law. All I have to do is just obey. I don't even have to think about it. I just have to obey. He says, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Remember the curse that Moses was talking about back there in Deuteronomy chapter 11? This is the curse that he's redeemed us from. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Friends, listen, the gospel of grace has no deductibles, no co-payments, no co-insurance, no limits, no exclusions, no exceptions, no restrictions, and no complicated explanation of benefits. If you really want to see your benefits sometime, it's not where I'm going this morning, but just go look in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, and he, he'll just roll out your benefits right there. And he just covers it all. You go look at that sometime. No complicated explanation of benefits. Why? Because there is no 80-20 plan in the crucifixion, friends. Jesus paid it all and gave us a better covenant. 100% coverage, 100% of the time for an eternity. Isn't that beautiful? 100% coverage. In other words, I don't have to contribute to this, my pitiful 20%. My pitiful $30 co-payment. No, he paid for everything at one time for me. And when that revelation begins to gain strength in your heart, I'm telling you, you will fall deeper and deeper and more passionately in love with Christ as you begin to see him clearly portrayed as crucified. And why did he do that? Because he loved us. He loved us. Overlapping some of the scriptures, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. This is out of God's Word translation. Christ paid the price to free us from the curse that the laws in Moses' teachings bring by becoming cursed instead of us. Friends, do you see those words? It says 
the curses come out of Moses' laws and his teachings. And he says there, Christ paid the price to free us from that. Scripture says, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Christ paid the price so that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to all the people of the world through Jesus Christ, and we would receive the promised spirit through faith. The faith that God gave us. You can't even take credit for that. Years ago, I remember this. I, I had to receive the offering. This was probably 20 years ago. I had to receive the offering one time at our, at our church. And there was a dear old lady. She's, she went on to be with Jesus. Now, I probably didn't say that right. She was a real sweet lady. And she happened to be somewhere. And I saw her Bible sitting there. She always sat in the same place. And I took a $20 bill out of my wallet. And I found the scripture I was going to read. And I stuck that $20 bill in there and closed up. She wasn't the wiser of that. And during that offering, I called Sister Pat up. And I said, Sister Pat, I want you to come up, bring your Bible, because you're going to be reading the scripture. And I called another man up. And I said, Sister Pat, would you give this man $20? She said, yeah, I would if I had it. I said, well, you've got it. She said, no, I don't. I said, you sure do. And I said, Sister Pat, I want you to read a scripture for me. She found that scripture, and the first thing she saw was that $20 bill. You should have seen her eyes light up. She thought God put it in there for her. <laughs> Friends, we are putting things in people's hearts that are treasures. You see, God gave us a faith, and we thought, man, this is my faith. <laughs> oh, God inserted that faith on the inside of you. You can't even take credit for that. And I looked at the man and I said, I said, is it true that you're $20 richer than when you were when you were sitting down? He said, absolutely. I said, is it true that she's $20 poorer? He said, that's exactly right. I said, no, it's not. Because you see, I put that $20 bill in that Bible. She lost nothing. Do you see where I'm going with this thing? This is what Christ has done for us. He's given us the faith, one faith. He's given us the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one spirit. He's given us the gospel of grace, one grace. Christ paid the price so that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to all the people of the world through Jesus Christ and we would receive the promise, spirit through faith. When the apostle Paul visited Galatia, he gave him a math problem. And this is what his math problem looked like, friends. <laughs> Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That was his math problem. He said, come on, I want to teach you something here. I know you guys aren't good at math, but let me just teach you this. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now, let's see what the Judaizers' message was. <laughs> oh, you can have your Jesus, but you need Moses, you need circumcision, and you need the law. Now, that equals salvation. That is another gospel. That is a different gospel. And that is what the Apostle Paul was so fired up about. He said, you are telling them something that's not true. I told you it is Christ alone. Now what you did is you reached back in Deuteronomy and you got Moses. You don't need Moses. I'm telling you why I'm so passionate about this is because people's lives are falling apart because they're under condemnation and fear and guilt and shame and worry. And we deal with it all the time. Why? Because they're listening to the Judaizers' message. It's Jesus plus good works. It's Jesus plus fasting. It's Jesus plus tithing. No, it's Christ alone. If you want to fast, you go ahead and fast. Listen, I've been on a couple of 40-day fasts. I didn't eat one kernel of corn in those 40 days. You think that made me more spiritual than you? You better believe it did. No, it didn't. It made me no more spiritual than you, brother. All it did was make me real skinny. You know, listen, I don't have anything wrong with fasting, but I'm telling you, fasting is for a different reason. It's for to get aside and set aside some of the time that you would devote to other things and just really get along with God. And that's what I was doing during those times, right? But it doesn't make me any closer to him in terms of the relationship, maybe only in my own heart. But all these other activities that we do, giving financially, yes, it's important, of course, you got to support the gospel. Fasting can be good for you. Reading your Bible, praying, all these are good things to do. 
But if you start putting them on the Judaizers list, Jesus plus fasting, plus praying, plus giving, all that stuff, you've got the same message they have. And I'm telling you, if you add even one sliver of 1% to the gospel of grace, you have corrupted the gospel and it is no longer the gospel. If I color outside of this word, I'd appreciate if you just pull me aside. We'll go over these things. I really would. But I'm telling you, this is what he's getting at when he's talking about a different gospel. What else could it be? We see in context of the scriptures, the Judaizers come in, they come in with a message. Paul come in and said, listen, man, nine times nine is 81. You got that? You got that? Nine times nine is 81. The Judaizers came in and said, nine times nine is 83. And the Galatians said, no, wait, wait, now Paul was just here. He said nine times nine was 81. And they said, close enough, same thing. No, it's not the same thing. You cannot add anything to it and have it be the same. You change it when you do that. So, when the Judaizers came in, they came in with this message and it corrupted their minds. And well, They didn't lose their salvation. Paul wasn't saying you need to get saved again. Salvation is a finished work. But he's saying, listen, you're going to really struggle. You're going to have a hard, hard time in life unless you get this down that is faith in Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. I believe that's what Paul was getting at when he wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. He said these words. He said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Do you hear his heart? I'm, I have this godly jealousy for you. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, not your spirit, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is where the battlefield is at. It's in the mind. And he says your mind can get led astray. What is the Apostle Paul talking about? How is a man led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ? How would that happen? Let's see what he says. He says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, he said, man, he said, that's how it happened. And somehow he says, you put up with it easily enough. Nine times nine is 83, no problem. <laughs> I'll go along with that. Listen, friends, like I said, I don't die on a lot of hills for trivial, extraneous minutia. But I'm going to tell you something. If you want to have a conversation with me about Jesus Christ and you try to inject a plan that I know doesn't have life in there, we're going to talk. I'm not going to get out my boxing gloves with you, but we're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to draw your attention, as long as you'll have a conversation with me, back to the true gospel of grace. It's Jesus plus nothing. Faith in Christ plus nothing. That's how you see him clearly portrayed as crucified. He said, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The Apostle Paul was essentially saying, I won't allow anyone to add anything to Jesus' finished work. We are pure virgins because of Jesus' finished work, not because of abstaining from whatever or doing this. We are a pure virgin because of what Jesus has done, a finished work. There are no deductibles, no co-payments, and there is no complicated language. So, when I looked at these scriptures, I had to ask the question, what was being preached other than the Jesus that Paul was preaching? I mean, it's a good question. What were they preaching exactly? What did it sound like? And this is where I want to show you that this can happen to all of us. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter stood condemned? We're talking the right side of the cross. We're talking a Savior that's already went to heaven. And Peter is standing condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. In other words, Peter did. 
But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because, look at those words, he was afraid. I'm telling you, fear will make you do strange things. It will make you do crazy things. You're not yourself when you're walking in fear. You'll say things, do things, and sometimes not do anything or say anything when you should say things and do things. The Bible says that Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, who is it that belongs to the circumcision group? It is the people that were influenced by the Judaizers, the doctrine of the Judaizers. That is the circumcision group, and it was growing. Continuing, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Did you hear that? Barnabas now, who hangs out with Paul and Peter. Barnabas was led astray because he was listening to Peter. He was watching what Peter did. He knew Peter was one of the original 12. And he said, well, he must know some things that I don't know. And sometimes that's what we do is we go along with things easily enough because we think he's got to be right. He's got a degree behind his name. She's got to be right. She's got a television ministry. No, friends, if it's not Jesus plus nothing, then they are not correct in that area. They can still go to heaven. That's the good news. Listen, man, don't ever think you're better than anybody else. We are all the same in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters together in Christ. So he says even Barnabas was led astray. When you take Peter and you take a Barnabas, I mean, these are major chess pieces. These are not pawns on the front line, friends. These are rooks and these are knights, and these are bishops and queens and kings. They are major chess pieces. And if it can happen to a major chess piece, it can happen to anybody to get led astray. How does it happen? Is when you deviate from the message of grace, the gospel of grace. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, Understand the context we're in here now. And he's saying, listen, you've been led astray. How did this happen? You weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? There's your first hint. It's going south. Here we are following Jewish customs and Jewish customs. Listen, I love the, the Jewish people. But I'm telling you, anything that's a custom that says this in place of Christ uh, is not a custom I would be uh, interested in, friends. He said, you follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was clearly portrayed as crucified. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Is that plain? No one will be justified by the works of the law. In other words, you cannot do enough. You cannot be good enough to be justified. That means, again, to be declared innocent, to be made righteous in God's eyes. He says no one will be justified by your own plan of salvation. Otherwise, Jesus died in vain. So friends, let me tell you something. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you can throw away that pitiful old covenant insurance card because that's all it is. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Look at those next two words. Absolutely not. Who in the world in their right mind would promote sin? Sin has its own consequences. It's deadly. No, he doesn't promote sin. He said, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ 
liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then look at that 21st verse there. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? He said, listen, I've said a whole bunch here, but let me just finish it off by saying, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you could have worked your way there, if you could have been good enough to go there, then Jesus died for nothing. Because he died for something you could do, but you couldn't do it. And that's why he died for us, friends. In other words, you have overlooked you have walked around and you have quickly deserted the gospel, the true gospel of grace. You have turned to a different gospel. You have set aside the grace of God for a gospel that makes cold and clinical the reality that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 these words. Again, this is fresh into his letter. He's writing to the Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed the body of Christ is dealing with a lot of shame and the apostle Paul was not dealing with shame he said I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile friends the uh, apostle Paul's mission in life was to cherish and to protect and to uphold and to propagate the gospel. He wouldn't allow anything to be added to Jesus' finished work in an effort for a man to be saved or to remain saved. Adding anything to the gospel of grace would have been as offensive to the Apostle Paul as someone taking a permanent magic marker and drawing a mustache on the very last picture you have of your mother. And then going, you know, it's just a little mustache. No, that's my mama. And you defiled her. That's the only picture I've got. And he said, listen, if you put a mustache on the gospel, if you add a beard to the gospel, if you add a goatee to the gospel, I'm telling you, you have corrupted the gospel. It is not the gospel. And I'm telling you, this is how protective he was because he knew that people needed to be set free. And if you change it, if you alter it, there's no freedom in it. What's the big deal? It's only a little mustache. No. You have corrupted the gospel, he said, by adding something to it. Again, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you a question. How do you pervert the gospel of Christ? Let me answer the question maybe with another question. Is it true that the gospel of Christ is pure? Come on. Is that true? The gospel of Christ is pure, right? then the answer is very simple. You pervert something that's pure by cutting it or diluting it with something that is unpure or less than pure. That's the only way it can be done. If you've got something that is 100% something and you add something to it that's no longer 100%, you have corrupted its organicness to it. It is no longer pure. And that's what he's saying in that scripture. He said, if you add anything to his pure gospel, he says, you have perverted the gospel. Friends, this is a liberating word. I'm telling you, 
when I release you today, you're going to run out of here like a little calf being released from the stall that Malachi chapter 4 talks about. Jumping and leaping and kicking your heels up going, praise God, praise God, I'm so free. If I fill my gas tank on my car halfway full of gas and halfway full of milk, you know what I've done? I've corrupted my fuel source. Why? Because my car is not designed to run on milk. And you are not designed to run on the old covenant. He made it obsolete, friends. So it is with the believer. We are not designed to live by the law. We live by faith. Remember, the law requires no faith. Likewise with grace. If you add anything to the crucified Christ for your salvation, you have perverted the gospel and Jesus will no longer in your heart be clearly portrayed as crucified. That will just be an event to you. And you'll be chasing some sort of little feeling somewhere. Oh, God, help me feel good today. Friends, I want to tell you something. I feel good every day in Jesus. Every day. Come on, Gary. Let's talk about this word pervert just for a second. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. To cause to turn aside or away from what is good or true or morally right. This is Webster's definition. To twist the meaning or to divert to a wrong purpose, to misinterpret. And this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he declared that the gospel can be perverted. He said, you're twisting it. You're turning away from that which is true and morally right. You got a wrong purpose in mind or you're misinterpreting. I think that's where the body of Christ is stuck at. They're just misinterpreting the gospel because they can't seem to shake the leech of the old covenant. In the book of Acts, we find the apostle Paul and his companion Silas in prison. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 28. About midnight. Friends, that's the darkest time of the night. About midnight, in your darkest moment. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Treble was right there with them, singing with them. Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. I want you to remember that word right there. There was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Look at the next two words. At once. Friends, that's how salvation happens. At once. You don't work your way into salvation. It happens in a moment. At once, he says. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Friends, that the body of Christ would come to the revelation that all of their chains have come loose through the gospel of grace, that there's no need to heap condemnation on ourselves when we fail and there's no need to harm ourselves. Why? Because we are all here. You see it? Don't harm yourself. How do you harm yourself? By heaping condemnation upon you. By heaping guilt upon you. Shame, fear, all these big hitters. By heaping all this garbage on us, we harm ourselves. We harm our minds. We harm our bodies. And when you come to the revelation that I can sing in my darkest times, I don't have to wait till God plants and, and makes everything beautiful and perfect. I can sing at midnight. I can sing in my darkest moment, understanding and knowing all my chains in a moment at once were loosed in the body of Christ on the tree. And I don't have to harm myself. Why? Because I'm all here. I have everything that pertains to life. In godliness, I've got it all. Oh, look at your neighbor and say, you're all there. You're all here, brother. You are all here. Friends, in closing, I want to draw our attentions back to the crucifixion. 
In Matthew chapter 27, verses 46 through 54, we find these words. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man's calling for Elias, Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again in a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Look at those words. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God's. Friends, what do those two stories have in common? If an earthquake got the Apostle Paul and Silas out of a prison, then how much more were we released from the prison of condemnation when Jesus died and the earth did quake? How much more? Again, I want to encourage you that when you find yourself in the darkest of times. You see, Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning and he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the very same time that they come in to sacrifice lambs in the temple. You think that's just a coincidence? That's not a coincidence. That he died the very time that they would come in and sacrifice lambs. But from noon till three, from midnight till three, there was darkness on the land. Because Jesus, I believe, was drawing us back to mirror it with other things that people have went through to show you, even in your darkest moments. He said, I'm going to release something on the inside of you that is so beautiful. I'm going to release the gospel of grace. My closing scripture. I love this scripture. I've ministered it the last two times I preached. Galatians 3 and 1. The Apostle Paul said, you foolish Galatians. Again, what he's doing here, he is telling them that word foolish means you're sensual. You are operating by feelings and emotions. He said, you've got to stop doing that because you're going to give in to the Judaizers. You're going to give in to people with a corrupt message. He said, you foolish Galatians, I taught you the right kind of math. And then someone came along with some new math called core math of some sort. I don't know what it is exactly. But he said, listen, let's take the shortcut here. Let's just go right to Christ. He said, you foolish Galatians. Then he says, who has bewitched you? Which literally means who has fascinated you? Who has played the flute and charmed you like a blue cross, blue shield policy? He said, no, what you need is a Christ cross, Christ shield policy. That's what you need, friends. And then he finishes that first verse by saying these words. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And friends, that is where the inspiration for this message came out of. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. And he says, if you don't see that, you won't see it at all. You won't see it at all. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The crucifixion was more than an event. Papa's priceless gift of grace was nailed to a cross and we were crucified with Christ. In Jesus' death, every prison door flew open and every one of our chains were loosed. We no longer have to harm ourselves with thoughts of guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. You know why? 
because we're all here and complete in Christ. We do not set aside the grace of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We are no longer under the bondage of the old covenant. It has been made obsolete. The new covenant of grace has rendered the old policy outdated in Christ. There are no deductibles. There are no co-payments. There is no co-insurance. And beautiful thing about it, there are no expirations in Christ. The gospel of grace takes away complicated language. It is faith in Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. Friends, that message is clearly portrayed as crucified, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Daddy, I've had just a delight ministering this word this morning. I want to thank you that it took the Holy Spirit to give me the ability to see this. It wasn't my own doing. I cannot say that I labored over this to get this. It's by revelation of Christ. And I want to thank you, Father, that this gospel of grace, the true gospel of grace, is proliferating across the nations and across the continents, Daddy. And it's drawing people out of the prison cells. It's reaching down with the key and it's unlocking the shackles. And Daddy, I thank you sometimes that it has to be in the form of an earthquake and other times it has to be in the form of a gentle whisper. But nonetheless, however you do it is up to you. But the good news of it is that people walk free. They walk free, understanding they're no longer under the old covenant. We don't have any co-insurance. We don't have any deductibles and co-payments, Daddy. We thank you that Jesus paid it all. He paid it all on the cross so that he could put us inside of him and say, he, she, we, I, they, them, they were crucified with me. Nevertheless, they live. In Jesus' name, amen.